Good morning. Oh, it's good to see you all um, here this morning. Uh, as Matt said a little bit ago, special welcome to those of you who are guests with us. So glad that you opted to come and spend some of your day, some of your morning with us. My name is Kondo. I get to serve as uh, one of the pastors here. But um, for the next couple of moments, I get to serve as a party host and inviter. You may have missed it. You may be getting here and you haven't heard anything about it. Maybe you know about it. But I just want to remind you or maybe announce for the very first time, after this service, we're having a party. Call it what you want. It's a cookout and a carry-in. They'll be eating. They'll be enjoying each other. They'll be getting to know folks. They'll be kicking off the football season. Whatever you want to do with it, we would just encourage you to hang out. So some of you may not even have planned to stay for lunch. Change your plans. Your plans just changed. Call whoever needs to be called to unplug the crock pot at home. Go get it. Bring it back. But whether you plan on it or not, we'll have plenty of food for you. Just a great opportunity to hang out, play some games, get to know some folks. So plan on sticking around after the service. There'll be some refreshments. And then there'll be some just deliciousness that you do not want to miss. Okay. Uh, This morning, I get to continue our series that we are calling The Talk, Um, a conversation about marriage and love and sex and dating and singleness. And we're in our third week. And as we've been saying, if anyone should be talking about these things, it should be us, the church, God's people, because after all, our God, our Father, He created, He designed. Sex and marriage and dating and all that's involved in that. And yet we often tend to be the ones who shy away in shame from talking about these beautiful things that God himself designed. And so in this series, we want to lean in and have a conversation um, about it. Um, This series is in many ways what I wish somebody would have told me. Uh, about these issues when I was growing up. And so in turn, this series is really what I wish for my kids to know as they grow up. What we've seen in the past couple of weeks is this central theme that we cannot afford to miss if the rest of it is going to make sense and if we're truly going to lean into God's design. And here is the pillar truth that we've unraveled in this series so far. And it's simply this, that marriage is all about Jesus. Marriage is all about Jesus. Marriage was created for us to paint a picture of the way Jesus has selflessly and sacrificially given himself up for a sinful people called the church so that they could soar and become everything God designed them to be. And what we've seen is that marriage at its best is a couple that's learning to figure out what it looks like to selflessly and sacrificially give themselves up for each other to help paint a portrait of the way Jesus Christ has given himself up for us. And what we've said is if we embrace this pivotal and pillar truth, if we embrace the fact that marriage is about Jesus and therefore it's about learning to sacrificially give ourselves up for the other, it will shade the way we think about sex and dating and singleness. 
So last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about dating. And uh, for those of you um, who were here, you know that we aired some concerns when it comes to the way we typically practice dating in our culture, in our experience. Because I don't think we have much trouble saying, yeah, marriage exists to paint a picture of Christ and the church, but dating exists for our pleasure. It's for us. And before we know it, we've blurred any semblance of a picture of selflessness and sacrifice when it comes to the way we date. Dating is for us. It's an opportunity for me to taste test the samples and test drive hearts and to try and figure out what ultimately makes me happy. And if I can figure out the person, who makes me happy and the stuff about them that makes me happy, then then I'll hang on to them. But if they disappoint me in some way, then hey, I'll give them the speech. Let's just be friends. Move on to the next person I want to sample and try on. And that doesn't mimic or paint a picture of the way Jesus Christ has loved his church. Um, If you missed last week, by the way, I would encourage you to catch up. Um, you can go to our, our podcast on iTunes, or you can go watch the, uh, the message online um, right here, uh, missionpoint.net slash messages to catch up. And one of the reasons I say that is because this week is going to build in some regard um, on last week. Um, so what we're doing this morning is we're going to continue our conversation about uh, Dating, And uh, this, again, is what I wish somebody would have told me. Uh, This is what we as parents ought to wrestle through as we think about what we want to tell our kids. Uh, For those of you who might be single and really longing or interested in marriage, these will be um, some challenging thoughts for you. And let me give my customary preface before I carry on and say this. If last week was the most frustrating message in the series, then this week is going to probably feel like the most radical slash impractical. You're warned. It runs the risk of you walking out and saying, that's it. That's what you've got for us. And I'm not responsible for how you feel. Um... (laughs) And then we'll feed you after and everyone will be friends. So it's really, really well planned. Um, But we're going to pick up where we left off last week and attempt to answer the question. So, okay, Kondo, if you're saying the way we typically practice dating isn't ideal, then what? How are we supposed to get from singleness to marriage? What does the Bible say about getting from singleness to the point of marriage. In order to answer that question, we are going to look at two incredibly classic dating stories from the Bible. Um, Both of them are in the book of Genesis. Uh, They're separated by about 20 chapters, and they're separated by about 20 generations. We're going to look at the epic dating stories of a guy named Adam And his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, a guy named Isaac. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, why don't we go to Genesis chapter 2 together. um, And then eventually we're going to head to Genesis chapter 24. So you can feel free uh, to bookmark that or, you know, be prepared to jump to it on your fancy um, Bible device. Genesis chapter 2 is uh, where we are going to 
start. And I think Adam and Isaac helped provide some meaningful recommendations for what to do when it comes to dating, when it comes to getting from single to married. Okay, uh, let's meet bachelor number one. Um, his name is Adam, uh, commonly known as the first dude ever. Um, uh, so here's how it goes. After God is done creating his perfect paradise called Earth, he goes to work on, on creating his perfect tenant called Adam. And uh, this is what God does right away. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. So for anyone taking notes, real quick, Adam, Facebook status, single. Now, to be clear, he's single, but employed. He has a job, a farming gig um, of some sort. Um, anyway, so as the story goes, um, while Adam is working, uh, doing his farming job, God has a conversation with himself about Adam behind Adam's back. Now, thankfully for us, this secret conversation God had with himself is recorded for us. Look at what he says in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Which man? Yeah, there was only one dude. Come on, people. Um, he said, I will make a helper suitable for him, for Adam. So God decides he doesn't like the idea of Adam being single. By the way, let me clarify. Uh, God isn't saying that there is something incorrect about the way he's created his world. What God is saying is there's something incomplete. Because in order for God's purpose uh, to fill the earth with human beings, it's a tad complicated if Adam doesn't have a somebody. In order for God to ultimately paint a picture of Jesus Christ and his selfless, sacrificial love for a church, Adam is going to need a somebody because Christ is well represented in the person of Adam. But now we've got to put together the piece that represents the church. And so God isn't one to just raise problems without um, giving solutions. And so... Um, he plans a solution to make a helper suitable for Adam. But before God makes this helper for Adam, God brings this situation to Adam's attention in a very stylish way. Look at verse 19. <laughs> this is so cool. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So Adam is doing his job. Farmer turned zoologist now. I mean, he's naming the animals. He's observing their patterns and, and making decisions as to what is the most appropriate name for the animal. And whatever name he gives it, that's its animal. You don't like, uh, that's its name. If you don't like the name of an animal, uh, talk to him um, when you see him next time. But so Adam is going to work on doing this. And as he's observing and naming the animals, he has a little bit of a wait a minute moment. He's like, mm, mm, mm. 
Mm. Mm. So everybody brought a date to this naming day parade. <laughs> except me. Everybody has a somebody. Even Pepe the Skunk over here has a somebody. And here I am, ever the groomer. Never the groom. So he becomes aware, we think, by implication. And while Adam is observing this and naming the animals, God goes to work on his solution, creating a forever date for Adam. Check this out. This is awesome. And and Adam totally falls asleep on the job. Look at this, verse 21. It says, so the Lord God calls the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, there's a Sandra Bullock movie about that that I've been subjected to way too many times. He took (laughs) one of the man's ribs. He took a rib out. And then he closed up the the place with flesh. Did I say we have a cookout today? Um, Anyway, ribs. I'm getting distracted. Listen, verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Who makes a woman from a rib? God, apparently, that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And kids, that's how I met your mother. I mean, this is so awesome, right? So Adam wakes up, and um, there's Eve. She is handed to him. God brought the woman to the man. And the first words out of Adam's mouth, vows. He makes me bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I will call you my wife. He makes vows and marries Eve immediately. For anyone who's ever been curious, that's Adam's dating story. Woke up from a slumber, saw the most gorgeous creature on earth, Made some vows, married the woman. Let's flash forward about 2,000 years to Genesis chapter 24. And um, uh, there's a guy named Abraham. Abraham has a wife named Sarah. Abraham and Sarah cannot conceive. And yet in the midst of their barrenness, God shows up and he makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah. And he tells them, you are going to have a son. Not only that, your son is going to, in essence, become the father of multiple nations more than that your son is going to become the great 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 grandfather of the messiah and so what god does to make good on his promise is he opens up sarah's womb enabling her to become pregnant and she gives birth to a son and they name him isaac the father of Many nations, the great, great, great grandfather of Jesus. Houston, we have a problem. Because by the time we get to chapter 24 of the book of Genesis, Isaac is 40 years old, borderline living in his mom's basement, Facebook status, single. Now, the dude is handsome and very rich. But he is 40 and very, very single indeed. How many of you know how difficult it is to be the father of nations without a mother in the picture? So, 
Abraham, stirred by the Spirit, as you read this story, um, realizes it's not good for his son, the original uh, 40-year-old virgin, to be alone. And so, Abraham knows it is time, and he is confident that God has chosen a wife for Isaac. So what Abraham does is he sends his most trusted servant to go and find this woman that God has chosen for his son. And look at what he says to his servant in verse 7 of chapter 24. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He, that God, will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Listen, don't worry about the who's and the how's. You are going to have some serious heavenly help, and and you are going to be GPS and roadside assisted all the way to the place and the person that God God has decided should be Isaac's wife. So, um, the servant leaves, heads out, um, and he goes to this land that he is told to go to. And when he gets there, um, he begs God, this servant does. Please make it crystal clear who she is. I know you've chosen somebody, and I know this is the place, but would you please make it crystal clear who? Because I don't want to be the one who messes up the whole father of the nation situation. And so look at his prayer in verse 12. Then he prayed, Lord... God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this well, this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople, they're coming out to draw water. May it be, and this is absurd, uh, that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So again, the servant knows God has chosen a wife um, for Isaac from among these people. So he begs God to make it clear. And this guy goes overboard in his desire for clarity by making one of the most absurd requests. And what he says is, God, here's how I'll recognize that she is the one. May she be the one who, when I ask her, hey, do you mind getting me in eight ounces of water? She'll say, oh, for sure. And I will get you 400 gallons to feed your 10 camels. That is absurd. No one does that. No woman would say, and let me just haul 3,300 pounds worth of water for these animals for a stranger I've never met. That is such a ridiculous request. No one could possibly meet it except before he's even done praying, here comes a stunning woman named Rebecca. And she not only agrees to give him water, and not only agrees to take care of the camels, she goes overboard. She ends up inviting him to the house. Come spend the night. This is so ridiculous that at the end of it, the servant falls on his knees and he worships God. Look at verse 26. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Why? 
Because he knows God has miraculously made his choice so crystal clear in a woman who's willing to do the absolutely absurd. And I love, by the way, the poetry of this story because in her humility, little does Rebecca know these are about to be her camels in a minute. But if you remember, I didn't say that we're going to talk about the servant. I didn't say we're going to spend some time talking about Rebecca. I said we would talk about Isaac and his dating story. So where is he anyhow? Well, um, Isaac doesn't show up until right at the end of this 67 verse story. Here's the dating part of Isaac's story. Ready? This is awesome. Verse 62. Now Isaac had come from Beer Laharoi, which was a really popular bar in Israel. Um, I'm kidding. It wasn't. That was where he was living um, in the Negev. Some of you are like, life verse? Mm-mm, no. Uh, verse 63. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. Um, to seek and spend time with his God. Now, mom had obviously never told him to pray with his, his eyes closed because as he looked up, it says, he saw camels approaching. Verse 64, Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. You know, so she got down from her camel and she asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? Because, mm, Just saying, ladies do it too. Um, And so the servant says, he is my master. So uh, she took her veil and covered herself, you know, to be a little mysterious and whatnot. Uh, Verse 66, then the servants told Isaac all that he had done. Well, Isaac was who knows where. Let me catch you up on all the different things that have happened. Let me catch you up on the way the Lord has confirmed and the Lord has led in this story. Then, um, Isaac and Rebecca dated for a minute. Like, really, watch this. Verse 67. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. Ah, how about hello? And he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And I'm not sure who dated longer. Adam? Or Isaac? I don't know. And by the way, we we won't have time to talk about this, but that should not stop you from talking about it and marveling at the beauty of what this verse says. I love that she became his wife and he loved her. I love that love was a choice to commit to her. He committed to her and then he loved her. Our culture will switch that around. Let me, you know, test drive and see if I like you enough to see whether I want to hang on long enough to see whether I want to. Let me see if the feels fall in love for you and then I'll decide whether or not to make a commitment. But really what's ultimately is my feelings of love. I love that he chose, committed, and he loved her. Almost as if it was this intentional, constant decision. But this is their dating source. How long did you guys date? Six um, or seven minutes, maybe. Um, and so these are 
two of the best dating stories ever in the Bible. How do you get from single to married if that's part of God's plan for you? Simple. Do what Adam and Isaac did. I honestly believe they helped paint a picture that I wish somebody would have painted for me when I was growing up. Now, uh, so many things we could learn from their story, from their example, but I want to zone in on a few seemingly impractical recommendations. Um, And again, whether you're single and longing to be married, or or whether you're a parent and you're wrestling through how to interact with your kids, or whether you're a friend of somebody who's in this process, here are some um, biblical recommendations from these guys' stories. Number one, um, embrace God's prerogative. Embrace his prerogative. Um, When you read the stories of Adam and Isaac, one thing that strikes me, I don't know if this struck you, was how unimpressive and how underwhelming these guys' role, these guys' part in the premarital process was. I was unimpressed. What did these guys even do? Adam, this guy, he wakes up from a nap, uh, looks around, and he finds the most perfect person handed to him. God brought the woman to the man. So Adam proposes... And he marries her. That's his storyline. So good, Adam. Books will be written about your romantic genius. You're a dating legend. Please mentor my kids. Isaac, though, he's no better. This guy is gallivanting. He's out for a sunset stroll. He looks up and he sees the loveliest lady riding on a camel to him. He doesn't even bother proposing. He just takes her into his mother's tent and he marries her. Like, mm. go eyes, Hercules, Hercules, right? What on earth did these guys even do? Humanly speaking, they were some of the most unimpressive, most uninspiring daters ever. Unless. You look at them through a biblical lens. Because it's then that you discover two men who embraced God's prerogative. Adam and Isaac both embraced and accepted this truth. And we'll put it up on the screen so uh, you can hang on to it. They embrace the truth that the if and the who are up to God. The if and the who are up to God. Whether or not they get married and to whom is God's prerogative. 
not theirs. They accepted that the decision of if and the provision of who were both above their pay grade. Those were both decisions that were up to their God. And what we saw in both stories is that God decided, and I love this, if God decides, God provides. God decided it was not good for Adam to be alone. And we've just got to pause for a quick second because I've heard way too many people talking about poor Adam. He was in the garden and he was miserable and he was looking around and he couldn't find anybody and he was so, 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 so sad. Adam wasn't sad. Adam lived in a perfect paradise, sinlessly. In in the cool of the evening, he would walk with his God. Adam was not a miserable guy. The decision. That it was not good for Adam to be alone was not made by Adam. It was made in a conversation he was excluded from. God made the decision about Adam. And God made the decision that Isaac would be the father of the nations. Isaac didn't make that decision. Abraham didn't make that decision. It was God's prerogative in his pay grade. And when God made that decision, God made the provision to miraculously move the pieces to provide Rebecca for Isaac. To surgically move and create Eve for Adam. Because it was God's decision and therefore God's provision. These two guys both embrace it's God's prerogative. It is up to him. The reason uh, that their stories seem somewhat uninspiring is maybe because we spend too much time looking at their part. That's not the biggest part in their story. I love that. By the time Isaac shows up, the work has already, God has already taken care of it. By the time Adam wakes up, God has already figured it out. Because it is his prerogative and therefore his provision. The if and the who are up to God. They don't do much because most of it was not for them to do. Listen, the question, I know I asked it earlier this morning. I know I've asked it in my life. But the question, how do I get from single to married, is often an evidence that I've not embraced that those decisions are up to God. How do I get from single to married? Often reveals, I believe it's up to me. So the most practical servant condo you could give us is give us some tips. How do we get from here to there? And what Isaac and Adam will say is that's God's prerogative. And so we spend so much time swiping through profiles and and hunting and and taking hearts for test drives and and collecting regrets and, and laboring to impress this person or that person, believing the if and the who is up to you. Because if you don't make it happen, how else is it going to happen? 
If I don't work on these things, and if I don't figure it out, how else is this going to happen? And Adam and Isaac would shout, no, know your role, stay in your lane. That's actually his prerogative. And the reason Isaac didn't date in his 40 years of life wasn't because he was an Oompa Loompa with no game. It's because he believed God would provide. When God decided, he believed God would provide just like he believed God would provide when he was a teenager and he voluntarily lay on the altar to be sacrificed by his dad, waiting on God to show up. He didn't abandon that level of belief in God's ability to miraculously provide. He believed God would ultimately provide for him. If Isaac believed it was up to him, he would have been dating up a storm. He was good looking. His dad was loaded. He was the father of nations. What's up, baby? <laughs> Want to be the mother of the nations? <laughs> hmm, sounds like a lot of kids. Um, <laughs> he could have had a solid run on The Bachelor, if you ask me. You know, taste testing a few ladies to see which one he wanted uh, to keep. Um, I have no feelings about that. But if Adam believed it was his role, To make it work. Can you just imagine that? If Adam was convinced it is my job to make this whole marriage thing work. Let me just say the Garden of Eden would have been a weird place. What's up? Is it you? Mm. How about you? Nay. I mean all he had was animals. This would have been really, really strange. Just say it. But these guys embrace God's prerogative and they let it go. Do you live like your marital status is God's prerogative? Or is it yours to decide and now to provide and ooh, watch out. Because if you don't have a ring by spring, you're a ding-a-ling. Like, I mean, that's the way it was at, at when I was in college. Maybe that's changed. Are you willing to lay that down? Are you willing to trust God to play his part really well, which he loves to do, and invite you when it's your turn to come onto the scene? Invite you when it's your turn to wake up? Invite you when it's your verse at the end of the story? Let me say this. If God hasn't made his provision annoyingly clear, my recommendation will be wait until he does. In fact, I'll go further than that and say, say no until you know, until he makes it incredibly, annoyingly clear. Otherwise, all we have left is, well, no, let's, I mean, sure, why not? Let's give it a shot. I'll try you on, you try me on. If we like each other, we stay a little bit. If we don't, we, and we start to do nothing to paint a picture of Christ. We do nothing to think selflessly. We do nothing to help preserve purity. Okay, so wait and do what instead? So glad you, you asked. Very astute um, question. Do your job. My second dating recommendation would be do your job. 
This is something I want my kids to embrace. This is something I wish somebody would have emphasized with me. And let me give you a quick hint. Uh, but by doing your job or the work, finding a spouse is not the job I mean. The question is, what was Adam doing when God provided Eve? Let's pretend this is one of those strange, crazy churches where you can actually answer out loud. But, I mean, what was Adam doing when God provided Eve? It was working. Dude was doing the less than glamorous job of naming animals. I have no idea what Adam wanted to be doing, but that was what Adam was doing. And the question is, why was Adam naming animals? It's really simple. Because that's the last command God gave him. That's the last thing God commanded him to do. So he was doing what God told him to do. Do that. And let me clarify what I mean by that so you don't show up in someone's backyard naming their animals. I believe this is more than a principle that applies to Adam. I think it's a promise for the rest of us. And here's how I know. Matthew 6 verse 33 says, but seek first, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. Jesus is saying most importantly, focus on building God's kingdom and obeying his commands. And by the way, for anyone who might be curious, The last thing Jesus told us to do before he went back to heaven, make disciples, share the gospel, run after the lost, do your job. Because we want what Adam has, but we don't want to do what Adam did. What Adam did was primarily worried about what God told him to do. And this is so important because I do, I fear that the church in large part has become far more obsessed with a marriage outcome than with a mission obedience. And so before you know it, you're hitting on girls, but you've never held out the gospel. Do your job. You're trying out dudes, but you haven't tried on discipleship. And we're far more concerned with running after a spouse than we are with running after the lost. And I think the Lord is saying, please, I have called you and I have commanded you to run after my bride. That is my clear order. But you've decided, no, I'll tell you what's most important is that I run after my bride. And he says, no, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be provided to you when God decides. I love Adam and Isaac's story because it was as they were obsessing with doing what God called them to do. They were chasing after God that marriage came chasing after them. And I wonder if Jesus wouldn't say to some of us, listen, if you obsess with working to serve my bride, I'll worry about yours. Let me do that. You worry about the work I've called you to do. And what's amazing is we've exerted so much more energy in building our romantic kingdoms when we do so little to do the thing he has explicitly told us. You are alive to share the gospel with the nations. Animals naming animals. 
And that's where he run into God's greatest provision as he was doing God's greatest work. Do your job. And I am convinced, as you do, God will interrupt. Let him interrupt. Oh, how is working a dating recommendation? Working is the best dating recommendation I can give you because the best place to run into God's best provision is doing God's work. And if God has decided marriage is for you, the best place to run into his provision is by running after him. That's the best advice I can give you. The thing we know about Adam and Isaac is that's where they found God's best. As you embrace his prerogative and you prioritize his work, when the time comes, he will interrupt you to provide his best. And I promise you, you will not miss it. Adam is naming animals, cow, goat, chihuahua. God interrupts him in the middle of his work to provide his best for him. You will never miss God's best because you are too busy obeying God's commandments for you. Whether it's ribs or camels, he will make sure you know. Uh, when I chose to live this way um, and to wait as a senior in high school, uh, not to keep trying different you know, girl options, my friends used to tease me. Um, uh, my friends would say to me, like, this is ridiculous. Condo, you think that, what, you're just going to be praying in chapel one day and she's going to fall into your lap? And I used to say, like, that would be awesome. <laughs> and part of that was because I realized that if, <laughs> if Isaac had friends, his friends would say to him, like, what, you're going to be just in the field doing your devotions one day and she'll come riding on a camel. <laughs> oh, that would be cool. That would be cool. I mean, Adam, come on, man. I mean, what, you're just going to be naming animals, focusing on the work is called you to work and he's going to, like, make a woman out of your rib. Don't be ridiculous. Date an animal. And my friends would have encouraged me, like, make it work. And yet the beauty of what we're invited into is a God who even right now is writing your best story. He's having a conversation about the best plans he has for you. And the best place for you to discover his best plans is by surrendering to his prerogative. It's by doing the work he's called you to. And watch him interrupt you. And he will make it so clear to you. When he made clear to me, and I can share that story at some point, that, um, you know, uh, my wife was somebody I had permission to pursue forever. Um, I did. I, I, I told her, hey, you know, would love to start this journey towards marriage. And she knew the only reason that I would be interested in dating her was if I knew God was leading this way and marriage was the goal. She looked at me and she said, Ugh. She had just come back from a missions trip in Cambodia, and she'd fallen in love with the gospel and the work of God. She said, maybe in two years. I'm like, woman? Do you see what's happening for you right now? It's me or Jesus. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. So anyway, I ended up marrying Melissa instead. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, so... <laughs> 
But it was amazing. Like Melissa had fallen so madly in love with the work that she was doing in the Lord that she's like, I will see. It took the Lord to have to interrupt her and convince her before she said, ah, I guess. And I'm telling you, the Lord will interrupt you when it is time. And he will make it crystal clear. And many of you say, how will he make it clear? Listen, the best reception you can get in hearing God's voice is on the field doing God's work. So if you're not there, I don't want to hear you talking about, but how will we know? Start by doing the things that he's made crystal clear. And let him bring clarity to the things that are foggy. And he will. He will. And so, Lord, we beg you. Um, to help us to be like Adam and Isaac, but most of all, to be like Jesus, who submitted to your prerogative and said, your will be done, who did the difficult and painful work of dying on the cross, and who now looks forward to the day you will hand him his bride. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.